Hello, and welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. Uh, And Damien, you are up this week. So what are you bringing to the table for us today? I am up this week. I don't know. Sometimes it's like a surprise. Um, (laughs) So today, I brought an article to the table for us. Um, It's called Police Violence is a Disability Justice Issue. Um, and it is by Derricka Purnell. Um, and while I read it on the Boston Review's website, it actually is an excerpt from her new book, which is called Becoming Abolitionists, colon, Police, Protests, and the Pursuit of Freedom, which actually just got published earlier this month. Um, and uh, Aaron, uh, you just secured the book uh, and have started yeah. reading it. I know you're enjoying it. Yep. Uh, it's definitely up on my uh, to-buy list at the moment uh, because this article was great. Um, and I'm so I'm looking forward to reading the book. But uh, I'm excited to chat about this article, because like I said, I think it was great. Um, in a nutshell, the piece really examined some like historical and, and recent examples of the experience of disabled black folks in this country in sort of a few different contexts. So uh, as an example, right, like from the lenses of slavery and reconstruction, um, from the lens of capitalism, sort of the labor market and the workforce, um, police violence, uh, and certainly, of course, in terms of the fight for abolition. And I think the like central point of the piece was really to raise awareness around like the importance of considering the intersections of ableism and and police violence or state violence, you know, as we consider disability justice alongside abolition, right? So um, yeah, I, I think the, the piece was great uh, and super informative actually in so many ways. And so um, I'm excited to chat with you about it today. What did you think? Um, I really liked it too. I thought it was an insightful article. Um, just really good. I'm looking forward to getting to this part of the book, yeah. um, which I think is much later, like oh. further along than I am. Okay. Um, but an area, it's an area of police violence that does not get talked about often. Right. Um, this intersection of disability um, and police violence, right, is sort of not ignored, but it's not it's not uh, highlighted as yeah. much. Um, and so, you know, disability often gets sidelined when we're talking about these systems of oppression and sort of the purposeful exclusion that uh, people with disabilities do experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are some important details that Derricka Purnell includes in this article about people with disabilities in the workforce and the ways in which, like, the government limits the amount of money that folks with disabilities can save yeah. and still receive benefits. Ah, yes. Um, Right. I think that's two thousand dollars. Like you're only ever allowed to have like two thousand dollars total in a, in any kind of account to your name. Um, Insane. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all of these are policies that enforce a state of poverty on people with disabilities. Um, and so there are really um, insightful, meaningful parallels between this state of poverty um, that is enforced on people with disabilities in a variety of ways, mm-hmm. police violence, mm-hmm. uh, and the, um, you know, it, during enslavement, the enslavement of people with disabilities um, 
right? So all of these pieces, she like weaves these threads yeah. to like help us understand how um, the experiences of, of people with disabilities during enslavement um, what is connected to the ways that people with disabilities are treated today, particularly black folks with disabilities. Um, so these are things, um, threads, um, patterns, parallels for us to like know and understand and learn about. And so I really appreciated seeing all of that and her weave history into the present day and, and seeing all of that come together. Yeah. Here. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, uh, and I think you mentioned this maybe last week when I introduced it, but this idea of like her writing style is so accessible. Right. And yeah. so, um, the way in which she does that is just, it's, I mean, it's, it clearly she's, she is a writer. She is an expert, right? She right. knows what she's talking about, but she does it in such an accessible way that it makes sense, right? And it's clear to sort of see those threads um, that you sort of talk about. Um, and so I, I also appreciated that. And I'm really glad you actually brought up what she said about sort of the workforce piece mm -hmm. in particular, right? Because she spent a good amount of the piece talking about that, right? Um, she pulled some stats uh, from the American Psychological Association um, that I thought were just, you know, really profound, right? Like, so they were, um, people with low vision have unemployment rates that exceed 70% and intellectually and developmentally disabled people have unemployment rates of over 80%. Um, and then she also cited this government report that, uh, estimated that employers pay more than 220,000 or so intellectually or developmentally disabled folks, less than minimum wage. Like what is going on, right? Like right. how and why are we doing this, right? Um, I think sort of like I really struggle with like the morality of that, right? And like how we sort of can, how folks can and employers can and these agencies can justify um, sort of doing that to human beings, right? Um, and and sort of the, I, I think I also struggle with like the notion of reconciling like the resources we have in this country <laughs> with statistics like that, right? Like yep. In this sort of, I think, truly abhorrent treatment of folks with disability, uh, disabilities in our workforce. So you know, I think so there was that sort of piece. And then she also connected that to the the power and the ills of capitalism. Right. And, and our unwillingness to invest in the necessary accommodations to support folks with disabilities. Right. Yeah. And that just means that that's just a, that just a, is a cycle that perpetuates itself. Right. Like over and over again. Right. And so um, and you talked about sort of being in this like state of poverty, too. Right. So, uh, yeah, I appreciated her bringing sort of all of that to the table right, and all of that to this article and um, and and this sort of particular lens of disability justice. Right. Like these connections between labor and capitalism and, and ableism. And I think it really like continues to remind me that when I think about abolition and why it's important and why it's necessary, right? Like this is just another sort of piece of why that's the case and something to keep in mind for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, again, I think my, uh, as, as I think about how we are sort of raised in this culture, mm -hmm. uh, in the U S I think we are, uh, always reform minded. Uh, like yes. that's that's how we learn um, about the history of the U.S. Right? Is like we we uh, were flawed and then we reformed it. And now we're a little bit better. And then yeah. we reformed it. And now we're a little bit better. Mm. And I think that um, you know we can't always reform our way out of these concerns that yes. we have. Um, you know, one of the things that she points out in the article. Uh, is this story about the NYPD. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they created a so-called 
emergency services unit uh, that was trained to handle quote unquote emotionally disturbed people. Yeah. Uh, so they, um, this unit was charged with serving an eviction notice to a woman um, who had a documented disability, um, had been living uh, a sort of stable life in an apartment for a while, been a community member in that apartment building and babysat neighbors' kids and, and whatnot, um, and was also complaining about the conditions of her apartment to her right. landlord and withholding rent because of those conditions. Like the stove was broken, there's something mm-hmm. wrong with the heat, yep. um, pipes, uh, plumbing issues. Like So there were ongoing concerns and she was reporting them and then they weren't getting fixed and so she was withholding rent. Yep. So that seems to be why her name is Eleanor Bumpers. Um, that's why she was being served an eviction notice by this emergency service unit. Um, so... They're serving her this notice, and they break down the door. Yeah, um, and then she's holding a knife because she didn't really know what's going on. Um, wasn't uh, sort of wielding it aggressively nope. at all, um, according to all of the reports. Uh, and so they shoot her in the hand where she's holding the knife, and then they shoot her in the chest, uh, and she dies on her way to the ER. Hmm. Uh, and this is a unit that is quote unquote trained to handle folks with disabilities. Yeah. Um, folks who might be in distress. Yeah. Uh, and this happened in the mid eighties, right? I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, so it's a while ago, but this unit was, was the reform. Right. It, exactly. A, another murder happened by police of someone with mental illness. And so then the, uh, chief of police then created this unit to reform the, institution of policing in New York City. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the reform, as Derricka Purnell says in the article, the reform is killing people. Mm. Like, So we can't reform our way out because no. the reforms just create the same conditions. Yeah, that's heavy, right? The reform is killing people, right? And yeah. so um, I think your point is so spot on that we've done this over time so much and that's what we're sort of accustomed to, right? And we, I think... As a society, maybe we want to we we do want to make things better, um, but these sort of incremental reforms, right, and these things that we're doing, they're not enough, right? Yeah. And so that is sort of what, um, you know, abolition is sort of uh, why abolition abolition I think is the way for us, right, and why we believe in it so much because this is just not working, right? And a story like Eleanor's Eleanor's story was really difficult to read about, right? Yeah. Um, particularly as you say, right, like that's what this unit was quote unquote designed to do, right? That to they, they were designed to address that kind of situation right mm-hmm. um, and she ends up murdered in her home and so um i think it's just uh really her story is a perfect illustration of why reforms are not enough right and why they're as you said uh i mean they're killing people they're harmful to us and our communities um and then i think another piece of this um is that you know she points out that she doesn't want a it shouldn't want it to get reformed to the point where we're politely and nicely serving black women with mental illness eviction notices. Yes. Right. Like that's not the point either. She also should not have been getting evicted at all. Right. Um, so that's another core piece of the story mm. that I, I meant to include as I was talking about it. Um, right. So we can't reform this unit to then be like nice and polite to serve an eviction notice, like she shouldn't have been being evicted at all. At all. Because there were real problems with 
Her living conditions. Her living conditions, and her landlord was not addressing them. And so all you can do as a tenant is withhold rent until it gets addressed. Right. Um, and so, so what were the other sort of steps that could have happened um, before right. this ESU uh, was called? Um, I was about yeah. to say ESU units, like saying ATM machine, yeah. right? That the ESU was called. Um, yeah. Well, and all, all of that is also part of what abolition is too, right? Oh, like, right. and that's what we talk about on, yeah. on the podcast. What we, what we, the things that different things that we've read is like abolition includes like, what is, what does it look like for people to just have housing and be housed yeah. and consider housing a human right? Yes. Um, and that's another piece of this puzzle too, that I just wanted to throw in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and not just be ha- like adequately housed, right? Like properly right. housed, right? Yeah. Like, absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, there were, you know, in addition to sort of Eleanor's story, she highlighted, Derricka highlighted other horror stories, right, of this of this unit in New York being called in to deal with folks in mental distress and, and sort of emotionally disturbed folks. And, and, and sort of alongside that, she also called out like the lack of real data on how yeah. folks were, how many folks were injured or killed by the ESU or when the ESU wasn't called in, right, by the NYPD. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that was really disturbing too, right? Like, and so... Again, connecting this back to abolition, right, there was a part of the piece that I I wanted to share, um, like sort of as a direct quote from her. She says, I did not consider non-killings a success for the police who were still tasked with managing public housing, private property, racism, inequality, and mental health. What the city invests to evict people with police could be a starting investment to pay for rent and quality mental health options, not violence. This is why the kind of abolition that I believe in does not aim for the police to politely evict elderly black grandmothers from their government subsidized apartments. Mm. Rather, it aims to eliminate the police uh, contact by addressing the root of the problem and ultimately policing. Right. And like, so yeah. to your point, right, that was just so spot on, right? Like there, there are other things that we need to be doing and places that we need to be sort of investing our funding to support people, right. And to provide them with the resources that they need and the, the housing that they need, the conditions that they need to succeed and live and thrive. Um, and this isn't it. Right. And, and kicking down a woman's door and shooting her twice in her home clearly is not it right and so mm-hmm. um and this is you know as to sort of get back to the crux of the article right like there are so many instances and in sort of um situations that this is happening to folks experiencing mental distress right and, yep. and and disabled folks right and that's what she's sort of wanting to sort of call attention to and that's what i appreciate yeah um yeah because so many times the answer is just to put them in a in a jail cell which yes. is not gonna also not gonna help address any kind of underlying concerns that might be creating that distress um you know one of the other pieces uh that she points out is the debilitating injuries that police can inflict upon yes oh yeah um so she mentions abner luima um who had his teeth cracked Mm. Uh, and then was sodomized with a broomstick yep. um, during uh, his arrest and encounter with police. Um, and this is just, you know, just one example that she writes about. Um, and we hear about the people who are murdered by the police, but we don't always hear about the stories of the people who are violently injured and then have to deal with the ramifications of those injuries for the rest of their lives. Right. We don't, that's not, we don't hear about those things as yeah. much. And again, um, the morality of that, right? Yeah. To be sort of, sodomized like what is the point of that why are we doing that why yeah. are you doing that yeah. to a human being i just the, i don't understand yeah. 
Yeah. The torture is the point. Yeah. I, right. Yeah. Um, but it also makes me think back to your, like what you said, the part of the quote that you pulled is like, I did not consider non killings a, a success. Yeah. Because, because know, of that right this, there. Yeah. Um, he wasn't killed. Um, but is that a success? No. Um, and then there's also this connection to the history of torture, um, shifting to Chicago, the Chicago uh, police yeah. inflicted upon people for decades, like I think nearly 40 years. Yep. Um, and so she writes that the Chicago police department commander, John Burge allegedly led a torture ring against black Chicagoans using racial epithets, electric shock, suffocation, and brutal beatings. Yeah. Uh, and this leads to her point where toward the end of the article, she says that if we want to reduce and eliminate ableism and disabling injuries, then we have to reduce and eliminate police because uh, in so many ways, there's this history, there's this evidence of the ways that um, police are injuring people, maiming people uh, psychologically, yeah. but also physically for the rest of their life and they're dealing with those ramifications as i said for the rest of their life and we don't those aren't stories that we hear about as much yeah. um and how do you reform that yeah yeah it's it's fascinating to think about and that's why i appreciate this article so much this idea that you know on one side of the coin it is police violence and state violence against folks who who have uh, uh or are disabled right or have sort of a um some sort of disability or mental um you know, issue, right? Uh, but then there's this sort of violence that is inflicted on folks, and then that is causing, um, you know, these d disabling injuries, right? Um, mm -hmm. As well, and so both sides are are real um, and are part of the are part of the problem, right? And so I think these are really just difficult, disturbing stories for sure. But like we we need to hear about them, right? We need yeah. to know that this is happening so that we can address it um, and make meaningful change. Um, I think the other thing is, right, like they only just reinforce, again, the need for abolition, right? And so yeah. while in the case of, you brought up uh, Luma, Luma, I don't know, Luima, Luima uh, right? Yeah. I think that's right. Uh, Abner Luima, right? That, you know, he received $8.75 million as a settlement for that police violence that he experienced, right? And in the case of Chicago, right, after those decades of police violence, right, they, the, the city of Chicago made reparations, right? The money is not enough, right? Yeah. Um, it's a good thing. It's a step. It's a it's a healing measure, if you will. But, right, like that cycle is only going to continue unless we make real systemic changes, you know, and and, and push for this abolition, right? Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, the money is not enough because the money's trying to address uh, a wrong that was caused, right? And so what would be mm -hmm. the best is that the wrong not happen. Yep. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, and, and shifting a little bit uh, in the last, but it's all connected um, here. In the last few paragraphs, Derica makes a point that um, torture, policing, prisons, capitalism, and colonialism attempt to control and suppress the lives that we desire. Lives full of care, curiosity, reflection, and intimacy. Um, you know, and ableism is one of the manifestations of white supremacist, capitalist, imperialist patriarchy, right? Yes. That is, it's it's one of the isms that is has been developed out of those sort of core systems those core like sets of like values and who we value and what we value in this country uh and in, in most of the world um well a lot of the world i shouldn't say most yeah um 
and the history of the police and the development of policing in this country point to how they are the enforcers of these value systems that are deeply ingrained in the U.S., right? Like so it's, deeply ingrained. Yeah. It's endemic, right? So yeah. I talked earlier about like we reform our way through things, um, and that's the history of the U.S. But, you know, if we're going to address ableism or racism or classism or colonialism or sexism, we're going to have to reckon with what policing is today and where it's come from yeah. because it's it's a piece of this puzzle of these systems. Absolutely. And it's, as we have talked about here on the show before, right? Like the 1619 Project, right? Yes. Critical race theory, right? All, all, all that we're seeing currently in the news around um, what's happening in our school systems and, you know, places banning the teaching of our history, right? Um, it, it's, so, it's so shameful, I think, um, because we're not going to get to the place that we need to be mm-hmm. um, if our young folks don't hear this and know this and understand that these things are so deeply indebted, um, embedded, excuse me, into in our society. Yeah, yep. absolutely. That's great. Um, all right. Well, I think this is a good place to shift over to application, if that sounds good to you. Um, you know, for me, I was really struck by, there was a line in the article, I think pretty early on, um, and it says this, in 2016 and beyond, as activists and protesters fought against police violence that disproportionately impacted black people, disability justice activists raised awareness around the intersections of ableism and state violence. And I think so much of this piece really sort of like shared the realities of that statement, right? Um, And so I think application for all of us is to keep that at the forefront of our thinking and our conversations about abolition, right? As we talk about what we think are and what we believe to be the rationale for abolition and demand abolitionist, true abolitionist reforms, we have to make sure that we're also advocating for the rights and well-being of folks with disabilities and folks who are um, experiencing violence um, at the hands of the police and at the hands of the state. So I think that's a a huge piece of of application that I'm going to take from this. Yeah, I think, um, and a piece of that is to understand some of, some of what you're, you're saying there. Like we have to know these stories. Yes. Um, you know, we, and we have to give space for people to tell the stories that are happening and give, um, a platform to folks who are telling us like, these are the conditions that I live in. And this is, this is the world that I do want to live in too. Right. Like, so, um, it has to be sort of, we've got to center those experiences and those folks as well as we move forward. Um, absolutely. You know, and I, I mentioned this uh, sort of just before we started started talking about application, but we have to understand how this capitalist, imperialist, white supremacist patriarchy throws people away mm. who it thinks can't serve society. Yeah. Um, so there are some very important pieces of this article that are highlighted, and I know I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but their policies and they're designed to keep folks with disabilities in a cycle of poverty. Yeah. Um, or, you know, we, we see a kid on the news who has to grow pumpkins and sell them so he can get a service dog because he won't have access to one otherwise. Mm. Um, and we, you know, s- the news celebrates that as this individual like thing, right? which is, you know, yes, that's, in one, that's na- one angle. In one, one narrow angle. way, one narrow angle. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, or, you know, the high school robotics team who creates a wheelchair for, <sighs> 
like a kid in the community who doesn't have access to one. And um, like all of these individual stories are stories presented to us um, by the local news media and stuff as uh, triumphs, Mm -hmm. individual triumphs. Um, But they're also examples of systemic failure. They're examples of policy choices by our governments and by insurance companies and and by more than that too. Um, And we have to see that. We've got to be able to pull the curtain back to be able to do anything about them, right? Like, you know, you can't address an issue without understanding that those stories are part of the issue. Right. Right. Like um, the the most uh, used fundraiser on GoFundMe is people trying to raise funds for their medical care. Yeah. Um, and so we have to see that as a problem. Um we have to understand this to push for changes so that we aren't a society that just throws people away yep. if they're not popular enough to sell enough pumpkins or if they're not popular enough because uh, they know the local robotics team at the right. high school or uh, they're not popular enough to get any funds in their GoFundMe yeah. campaign for their medical bills. Yeah. And, you know, shameful for us to, quote unquote, be the richest country in the world. Right. And to see, right. you know, these conditions exist. And I think what they call those things or those news stories, right, they're the feel good stories. Right. Like, yes. Because they make you feel good. Right. And in, and again, in one small slice of the pie. Yeah. I hear those stories and I feel good. Right. But it also makes me think I've I've never once not said but why is that the case? Yeah, why? Why they, is why why are is a high school robotics team taking the lead and doing more than our government and our healthcare should be doing for their peer? Right, like, um, you know, and on one hand, it's like, well, good, you know, they're getting experience, right? They're building this wheelchair. That I mean, there's so much about yeah. it that you're like, it feels good, and ultimately, that, that kid gets a wheelchair. But it should not be that way um, at all for fellow human beings right but Mm -hmm. you know to your point we're talking about like all of that is about how we throw people away in this society or we don't um care enough about their lived experience to Mm -hmm. you know invest in them right and so i i appreciate those stories and you sort of saying that it really i mean it sounds like we're on the same page about the application of all of this right um and yeah uh you know how I feel about the power of our stories being important in this work. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, All right. Let's talk about homework. You know, I know, I know, I already know what your homework is going to be. Mr. I have the book, right? Yeah. My homework (laughs) is I'm going to read this whole book. Um, Called it. (laughs) You know, I'm already a little bit into it as I've been preparing for um, a a reading group that I lead. Um, We're going to read the first half of this and talk about it next month. Nice. Um, Well, I guess this month. It's November. Um, But that's my main homework. That was the the obvious choice, maybe. Yeah. Um, As well as maybe looking for some ways to support changes to... um, you know, some of these policies that we talked about yeah. um, and the ways that uh, people with disabilities are exploited, um, you know, through companies not paying people um, or paying people less than minimum wage, yeah. uh, which is already atrocious. So um, finding organizations to sort of support and, and um, you know, uh, publicize and, yes. and, and uh, yeah, sign petitions for like whatever, sending letters to people, like whatever we need to do. Like, I think that's another piece of the puzzle for me uh, as well. Absolutely. I knew it. Uh, but I get it. This piece was fantastic. And so I also want to read the book. I think it's it's absolutely going to be my next book purchase. Um, so I'll, I'll call that part of my homework to buy the book and start reading it with you. But um, I think on top of that, 
there are certainly other disability justice resources out there, right? And so I want to do some homework to continue to educate myself um, on these issues because, um, again, speaking to that, I can't get what you said out of my mind. This idea, and Derek said it too, right? We throw people away, um, and I that's shameful, right? And so the more that um, I can do to educate myself, right, and educate others, I think is where we need to go. So, mm-hmm. um, all right, good homework. Um, well, Aaron, you're up next. What are you bringing to the table in our next episode? I'm going to bring the second assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., which is an article by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. Ah. Um, it was published in The Atlantic on October 14th uh, of this year, 2021. Uh, and the subtitle is um, probably all that I need to do to introduce this. Okay. Um, the subtitle is King's Nightmare of Racism is Being Presented as His Dream. Mm. Um, I, so I haven't fully read it yet. I read the first few paragraphs. Um, but the article seems to be a criticism of the ways that the right is using Dr. King's words out of context to rail against you know, what they think of as critical race theory and, and show up in um, school board meetings and yeah. uh, shout, shout through a microphone at, at uh, school board members about curriculum and stuff that they haven't read and don't understand and, and have uh, little concept of um, and talk about how they're it's indoctrinating their kids. Yeah. And stuff. So um, it's it's an article about all of that and the ways that essentially um, taking Dr. King's words out of context is sort of a, another like intellectual assassination of his yes. uh, legacy. Man, Dr. Candy is great, right? And so yeah. um, I didn't know that uh, he wrote this article. I hadn't seen it. So I'm looking forward to to reading it. And it's so timely, right? Particularly, as you mentioned, yeah. right? What's happening with critical race theory and what we're seeing, you know, in these news clips uh, at school boards and school board meetings and stuff like that. It's so, so timely. And we see it every year uh, around uh, MLK holiday, right? And how people. Right. Yeah. So uh, I love it. I'm looking forward to reading it. Great. Uh, All right, folks. So with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. Uh, You know what I'm going to ask you to do, but in case you have (laughs) forgot, please follow us, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with the people in your life, follow us on social media, and uh, sign up for our email list to get notified of any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week.